In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be talking about the draw against Sassuolo. We'll be previewing next week's match against Torino, Inter Legends, this week's Moratti, Moji and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on sempreinter.com. Ecco Perisic, uno contro uno, gioco di gambe, guadagna il fondo, il cross, Icardi, e gol, 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 Maurito il Mamba! Sono i blocchi nell'area di rigore, arriva la palla, la prende Messino! La prende Messino! Che segna solo contro le Romane e segna il gol del 3-1! Per una vittoria eccezionale! Eccezionale! Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima Tavelli Ruzzari, wishing you all welcome to an to a new episode of Studio Inter um, that maybe this week won't be as happy as uh, it, last week's episode was, uh, or at least in, in terms of how positive Mo and I were going into the Sassuolo game. Uh, he, both, of us were, <laughs> both of us were pretty, pretty confident and we got completely, we, well, we got a little slap in the face, didn't we there, Mo? <laughs> uh, we yes, got, sir. We yeah, we, we we got we we got told off properly by Inter. Um, I was and, the only one. I was the only one that predicted the match correctly via points. I think. Yeah, I think you were. Well, that was uh, uh, introduce you our our very own um, uh, Mo Mo laughing in the background was Mohamed Nasser into Sempreinter.com's own preview writer, and the guy who got it right is Critty Smith, uh, our own Inter Legends uh, writer. So welcome, guys. And also joining us is the host of the Alex Dono Show. Mr. Alex Dono, how are you? I'm great. I'm sorry that I missed last week's episode, though, because it sounds like much happier times than we're about to have today. <laughs> well, it was, I, I don't know if you listened to it or not, um, uh, but we, we did have a debate on the Icardi issue. It was quite lively. It was very, it was very, um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was pretty appreciated, really appreciated. So uh, I'm going to, you're, you're not going to get away with, everyone is going to have to say, have their say. So, so Alex, even though this isn't like school, if you keep your head down, the teacher won't call you. So you, you, you'll have to get involved in this, this debate as well. We'll, we'll, we'll. we'll get into that. But let's start with the, um, let's start with the game against Sassuolo. Uh, Mo and I uh, predicted a win. Uh, it did not exactly go as predicted. Uh, it was a very boring, dreary game but above, from Inter's side. But above all, I was really impressed by Sassuolo and De Zerbi, um, who, really, who really outmaneuvered Spalletti. Uh, how did you uh, experience uh, this game, uh, uh, Alex? Uh, to me, I thought that there were a lot of failures in midfield. Uh, as we, we often see, Matias Vecino was quite invisible to me for long stretches of the match. And, you know, you, you can't criticize this man too much because he's been so superb this season. But I, I thought it was one of the uh, the more lackluster performances that Brozovic has turned in in a long time. And I thought that really affected a lot of things. Uh, very thankful that Handanovic made a couple of excellent state saves at certain points he was standing on his head uh you know from from the attacking wise uh a, a quiet game by Icardi he's gonna have those he's had what four consecutive uh, league matches without scoring at this point uh Perisic was pretty poor I, I get why he's playing and why he's starting because Kate Balde is not available at the moment with injury and then as I'm sure we will get into um <laughs> Once he came on in the 80th minute, I uh, didn't score, but I thought Lautaro Martinez was actually doing something. He actually provided a spark plug for Inter in attack. And I, I know it's reaching a point with some frustration as to why Spalletti can't find a way if he's not going to bring him on sooner in a match. Is there any way we can do some more experimenting with two forwards? Because to me, it's it's becoming harder and harder to keep that guy off the pitch talking about Lotaro because I, I think he really is growing into City uh, and I would like to see him play more. I think he deserves to play more. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna discuss that the the uh, the two man attack and Spalletti's refusal uh, in in a bit. But I, I'm I'm curious to hear uh, you, Mo. What I mean, do you think this is um, the beginning of Inter's January depression, uh, or is it just another poor game? Uh, look, I think we'll. Uh, I'll reserve a judgment about uh, the the arc. Uh, whether this is a symptomatic of uh, what we've seen in the last few years, until the Torino game. 
But what I can say is I, I definitely agree with uh, what Alex said about uh, the biggest problem, you know, lying in the, in the midfield module, the midfield trio. Uh, I think we, we found uh, th there were two types of uh, poor performers in this match. There were players who were invisible, and then there were players who were overly visible, but shit. And the players who were invisible were clearly, I mean, clearly it was João Mario. João Mario was, was meant to play a pivotal role. And, and he, he just, he, he didn't, he, he, was, he wasn't asking for the ball enough and, and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't there enough. And it kind of it seemed like he, he, was, he was lost somewhere there in the final third of the, the pitch. The other two guys that were always showing up for the ball but did very little good with it were Matias Vicino, like Alex said, and uh, D'Ambrosio. D'Ambrosio had an appalling game. I mean, uh, generally the guy is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of those guys that kind of like don't like to wail down on him too much. I think he's, he's decent defensively and I recognize he's got his deficiencies going forward. But against Sassuolo, he did absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, I think whenever he was on the ball, he was probably the reason why an attack broke down and, and we just, yeah. So I think the three main culprits were, were, were these three guys. They just couldn't tie the, the, the play. And inevitably, you know, we know that Brozovic plays well when he's got dynamic guys around him. And the fact that both Vecino and João Mario weren't on, I think, uh, affected Brozovic's output as well. So I'm hoping that it's just, uh, you know, uh, post, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, post break for the league blues or whatever, or maybe it's the fact that they're playing in an, again, an empty, empty stadium against the bogey team. But I really, like, like I said last week, like I, I, I was completely blind, blindsided by this game. I was watching it. My wife was on the couch. She's like, why aren't you worked up about this match? I'm like, babe, I think, I think they got this. So I'm not, I'm not too worried, you know? And, and, and then, of course, come the 70th minute, I'm pulling out what little hair I've, I have left. So <laughs> This is, um, so, yeah. speaking, speaking of pulling hairs and that, this is like, you and I have never been in disagreement before. And now this is the second week in a row where we profoundly disagree because I think D'Ambrosio was good. I honestly think this was one of his better games. Um, or not better games. Let me rephrase that. Let me, let, let's not exaggerate. I thought he was a decent, solid player. I thought for once, I mean, he's always good defensively. We know that. He, you know, he's a hard worker. There's no discussion there. I thought for once his crosses and his movement going forward was actually really good. Uh, for me, um, the, the issue I found was, was, was Brozovic, exactly like Alex identified. I thought he, he, he was not up to the usual standard that we, that we are used to. And I think the reason for this was the, the way I analyzed it was because of how Vicino, exactly like you said, was completely invisible and completely out of touch. I mean, he looked energized. He didn't look as tired as he did at the end of last year, last uh, of December, when he looked like he could barely walk because he was so exhausted. But now I, he looks energized, but he just looked completely lost and out of the game. And Joe Mario, I agree. I think he was completely invisible. But for me, one of the a person who I really thought was was completely invisible and did not and, and in my opinion regressed back from what we saw in December and November and October especially you know the, the, those three months was Icardi. He was he was completely he was back to his old Icardi again. No movement, no link up play, none of the stuff that we've seen him do these past few months before the Christmas break, uh, before the New Year, which I thought was 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 the beginning of something really good. None of that. I said we saw none of this, um, which which made Politano, I think, which, which in my opinion made made Inter's wings really really predictable because when he's he when he moves in, like when he takes a step forward and links up, then Perisic and Politano can come can come with speed uh, and and take up that place behind him, uh, and that that makes us much more dyna dynamic and dangerous. I don't think he didn't do that once. He was once again just rooted in to the spot in the in the penalty area now whether or not that's you know as you said if it's a, if it's a slump in form or uh, if it's uh, down to uh, as you said you know they these guys have been on holiday and are and are working really hard to you know build up some some um, stamina you know some 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 uh, stamina and pace or whatever uh, th that remains to be seen against uh, torino but but in my, i um, I'm, I'm, I really didn't i really didn't think uh, d'ambrosio was that poor to be honest, I, I really, really didn't. Um, but um, well, yeah. Um, but but, but uh, Critty, what, what do you make of it? Who who do you so? What do you? Why do you think it went like it went? I'm so pissed off at this match. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm so sick and tired. It's like Inter either has the players that have the skill and don't work hard, or they have players who suck but work really hard. 
we, we're missing. We still don't have a complete team. We still don't have the players. And there's so little fluidity in this side. It's so splotchy. It's like a, a, an 8-bit Nintendo game. It's like pixels all over the, the it just it just it's just ugly. It's it's ugly. It's not smooth. It's not creative. It, it, it's you know, John Mario has like um two good matches, then he has a, a piss poor performance. And then uh you know, as you said, Icardi and I I think I said this, we'll have to go back a few podcasts. I said temper expectations on this Icardi stuff before the winter break because Icardi does what Icardi does. And it wasn't necessarily i don't think any kind of pattern i think it just happened to happen happenstance kind of he just played that way in those particular matches it wasn't any mm. kind of d- intelligent design or, <laughs> or some spalletti tactical innovation it's just icardi put forth an effort and he was going to try it's you know this teams like juventus they just they just get it you know like they just get these players that come in bust their ass and they're the best skilled players and you, you look at this this mercato from last summer what which of these players is really making an impact? This is the same inter side as it was last season, minus like Politano. I mean, That's true. It, it's it's what has Raja Nangulan done? What has Rosalco done? What, what, what's Asamoah? He's had some good matches here and there, but largely inconsistent. This is the same team that finished fourth in the league last season. They're struggling again now. They have. This match next week, we'll get to it with Torino, which is just just has a, a, a nasty I, I, result that, written all over. Yeah, I'm I'm scared of that game. But but the, the, the thing about it is, it, 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 I'm so tired. It's like it's becoming an annual tradition. Like Christmas is on December 25th, and and you know it, it's it's like every uh, beginning of December till the end of January, Inter are going to fall into a a massive slump, and it, it, it's it's becoming it, it's not even. It's almost like you can't even enjoy the matches you could because you know, because it's in the players' heads, it's in the, the the managers' heads, it's 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 what have you, and it's it's just becoming miserable to watch. And this is a team. I know I ranted on this in the group chat, but it's like this is a team. Juventus, the champions of Italy, they blow away three nil, no problem, no questions asked, very little sweat, very little effort. It's just it's automatic. And Inter struggle. And they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle. And there were chances in this game. They had chances. They had chances to 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 put the ball in the back of the net. But as you said, I think Nima, you said Sassuolo had the better chances. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, in, in my Pandanovic opinion, saved us a number of times. Absolutely. I mean, in my opinion, I think a little credit has to go also to to Sassuolo coach De Zerbi, who I think is the next big thing uh, coaching wise in Italian football. What I was mostly impressed with was was not how how Yes, yeah, sure, Inter were poor, absolutely, but Sassuolo made them poor as well. Um, and and the fact that the way De Zerbi completely blocked um, Spalletti's way of playing football and, and forced Inter to kind of play these kind of vertical, uh, the diagonal balls to, to kind of get some movement. And when, when, when um, D'Ambrosio got it right, Inter were lethal. But then he made some tactical changes and prevented that from happening. So I, I was mainly impressed. I mean, we got, I think we should give credit to where credit is due. Sassuolo are a good team, and the Zerbi is an excellent, excellent coach. I, I, I totally agree with you. But if you're this, this, this touted uh, uh, anti-Juve, you are the, the, the this, this, this Inter that's going to challenge for bigger and better things, and you're at home. I don't care if you're in front of kids. I don't care if you're in front of, you know, an empty stadium, a full stadium. You're at home. It's your pitch. It's it's your dressing room. It's, it, you know, you command it. And, you know, look where Sassuolo is in the table. Look where you are in the table. You should win this match. Whether it's 1-0, 2-0, it, you, you should win this match. This is a match you should take the three points in. And, it's it time and time again inter squander these opportunities and these are the matches uh this is the exact losing matches like this last season is exactly why it came down to match day 38 when they had to win at lazio just to get into the champions league and you know it's 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 becoming it's becoming an annual tradition so i can say it's just frustrating to see this happen year in year out where they just they lose their focus they lose their confidence and it just everything they've worked for from August until the end of November, just goes out the door. They 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 blow leads. They 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 let people catch up to them, and then they have to, you know, save themselves the last two and a half months of the season just to 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 to, to obtain their most basic preseason goals of just you know just qualify top four, just finish top four. So mm. you know it's 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 just watching this type of match 
every single January is starting to get depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. Um, Alex, uh, do you agree with Critty there? Or um, do you have, uh, do you think maybe... Uh, do you think maybe that um, you know? Because I mean, I think I think it's, it's really interesting to see what Critty says here because a lot of people have um, a lot of. I mean, it, it feels like it's two camps. One 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 is definitely on the Critty camp uh, that, that's saying that this is happening far too many times for us to ignore it. Um, what, what, and some say that you know, okay, this was just one game. This was Sassuolo. They're a bogey team. What do you make of it, Alex? Well, uh, I, I will add one thing to what you were saying, Nima. It was such an impressive performance by Sassuolo that it got Kevin Prince Boateng sold to Barcelona <laughs> about a day later. But I, I also, I, I, I go back to one of the things, I think it was Mo that brought this up after the introduction. Um, I am going to try and be rational and withhold, <laughs> withhold a meltdown until after I see how Inter perform against Torino. And I only say that because, and, and I, I agree with everything Critty said, by the way. So I, I'm not downplaying that, that this is a sort of side when you're at home at the San Siro, I don't care if there are 70,000 fans or 11,000 children in the stands who did make a lot of noise, by the way, you no, no, still, you, you, you have no excuse not to defeat that team in your home stadium when you are trying to push for second place and you're trying to stay in top four, you need to get better than a draw as a result at home. But the reason why I withhold the meltdown until I, I see what happens uh, in Torino is only because Sassuolo is a bogey team uh, for Inter. I, I've had enough misery against that side over the years that if, if Inter can bounce back and have a, a positive performance, a bit of a revenge performance given how they had a very poor result against Torino, you know, at the beginning of the season, second week of the season, when you had a 2-0 lead and then had a dreadful second half for a 2-2 draw. If Inter can show me something this weekend, I, I can say, OK, maybe Sassuolo is just always a team, especially with a coach now like the Zerbi, that is going to bring out the worst in Inter. I need to see how they can bounce back before I lose my mind completely. I've only half lost my mind. Well, okay, um, Mo, have you lost your mind, or are you still positive, Mr. Positivity? Yeah, no, I think um, I think it's a bit. Uh, I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, there, there, like uh, like Alex said, there's a lot of right in what uh, Kriti said. Uh, you know, a lot. Uh, it is very frustrating. It is, but I always I always like to you know uh, provide an uh, a different narrative. You know. So I, I think, you know, one, one thing that you said, Critty, was uh, the fact that this is the same, essentially the same side and what have the signings done. I, I don't think so. I think the team is, you know, I think the team is consistently better. And again, you know, I could, I could be eating my words in two or three weeks if, if we go on a, a, a torrid January run. And, but the way I see it, I think the, 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 some reinforcements have largely transformed the team. I agree that someone like, Angolan and Versalico have been very disappointing insofar as that their fitness hasn't afforded them the ability to show what we know that they can offer to the side. But there's no there's no questioning De Vrij's contribution, Politano. Even Keita was on a pretty good run of form towards the end of the season last uh, to, towards the end of the year last year. So I, I, I think I think we maybe are a bit culpable in. Uh, you know, uh, asking a bit too much of a side that's clearly on the mend. We've all seen what, uh, you know, uh, the, the nightmare that uh, Manchester United have been in over the last six, seven years, whatever, ever since uh, Alex Ferguson left, and they have infinitely more uh, financial resources to throw at the problem than we do. So I, th I think rebuilding a side, and in Inter's case, it's not even rebuilding a side, it's rebuilding an entire club, the structure, the organization, it's such a difficult process, and I, I, I'm just I, I look for silver linings, and I think that the fact that we're clearly in third this year, uh, and and we had a bit of a mini meltdown in in, in early this early December end of end of November, and the 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 guys managed to turn it around, leaves a bit more room for optimism, and I agree with you both or all three of you. This the, the performance against Sassuolo is unacceptable, inexcusable. There's 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 no positive to be to, to, to take away from that game except for you know 
a few things that we'll talk about later in in in, in, the, in the podcast. But the the performance in and of itself, taken you know as ninety minutes, was a shit show. And we should always manage to beat these teams, especially at home. So again, in terms of like the larger story, I think I'm hoping I'm hoping that you know uh, we'll be we'll be we'll manage to turn it around. You know, and 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 finish the season in a comfortable third position, six or seven points away from fourth, uh, maybe in touching distance from Napoli in second, and that's that's going to be good progress. You know, so let's see. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, um, I wanted to before like, exactly. Uh, let's move on um, to uh, the, the the thing that you touched on in the very beginning there, uh, Alex. And that's um, the one, the part about the two-man attack and how I, how Lautaro Martinez, um, I mean, when, when Icardi's, uh, when Icardi's not moving as much uh, as he was against, uh, which was the case against Sassuolo, then you have someone with Lautaro, as, like Lautaro Martinez, who never stops moving, coming, and he looks like he's brimming with confidence, he looks like he's really enjoying life, he's come into things, he's starting to understand what Spalletti wants of him, and he's enjoying his football. And he's benched because Icardi's the captain and he's, you know, the, 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 the person that everything goes through. Is it time? I mean, the thing is, I've always said that a, a coach shouldn't change his formation just to suit the narrative. Uh, he should play the formation he believes in. But, I mean, with, with Nain Golan looking so incredibly off as he is and the midfield looking as off as it is, uh, Spalletti won't dare to play Lautaro as the number 10. Do you, or, or do you think he should play him as the number ten, or do you think he should switch his um, his positions around and and play like play more of a four four two? Alex. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, it's hard because they did uh, try to use him as a number ten all the way back in in the opening of the Serie A campaign against Sassuolo, uh, ironically enough, and it, it clearly Lotaro was not ready. For, he really wasn't ready for Serie A football yet. So I don't know if Spalletti looks at that and says, OK, I, I did try this once. I tried this back in, in late August and it clearly failed on me. I'm not going to do this again. But I, I think Martinez is, is a different player. He's more ready for that opportunity than he was then. It, as far as changing the formations, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, the way I look at it, every very good coach has a preferred formation, tried and true. It works for them and it works for them for a reason. But I, I also think that every great coach does find a way to adapt to their personnel. And I'm wondering if this is at least worth the experiment of changing the formation to bring two attackers. Uh, I also understand that if it does fail, that Spalletti is going to get criticized for that. So it can be a lose-lose situation for him. But I think we've seen great coaches and great managers adapt formations to fit their personnel in the past. And for a team right now that really, you know, sometimes when teams are are putting up massive amounts of goals, you say they can't stop scoring. Inter has the opposite problem right now. Even even the matches that they were winning right before the winter break, they were one nil victories. This is a team that has struggled as Icardi has struggled to score. The entire squad has struggled to score. I wonder if now it might be worth the experiment of two attackers uh, because it's not like they can score any fewer goals than they're scoring at the moment. It might be worth the shot if I'm Spalletti. Okay, uh, Mo, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, th- I think uh, the writing's on the wall. Sooner or later, uh, I mean, uh, Martinez's form or Lautaro's form, whenever he comes on the pitch, it's evident that uh, he's going to force uh, Spalletti to play more, play more and more, often, more frequently. And whether it's uh, it's actually benching Icardi for Lautaro uh, or playing the two of them together, uh, we'll see. But uh, I, I just I want to touch on uh, one one thing. I think it's difficult uh, to see Spalletti. You know, I, I forgive Spalletti for not starting the match with uh, both attackers. Uh, I, I, I think at, at the, you know, at the starting whistle of the, of the match, 0-0, you want to start with your, with your perceived, like Alex said, your, your perceived preferable strongest formation, and that is Spalletti's 4-2-3-1. So he starts with that. And then around the minute 50, it's clear that 
something drastic needs to happen. And maybe Spalletti realizes that he has to put Lautaro on. But the problem with, with putting Lautaro on, it's, it needs to be a two-man sub. He can't just... It, who, like regardless of whoever he takes off the pitch to put Lautaro on, it's going to unbalance the side to such a degree that there needs to be another complementary substitution, as we'd seen somewhere in the, in the midfield, like Borja coming on or someone someone else coming on to be able to cover that additional additional responsibility of a midfielder that's going to be off the pitch. So I think what was going through Spalletti's mind was, it's clear that I need Lautaro on the field with Icardi, but I can't risk two substitutions having done already one and then someone getting injured so early on. So I kind of also understand, like I, I don't agree with, like I think if you're not winning the game, you need to go all out and win the, and, and go for all three points to win the game and not hedge your bets for a minute 80. But I also understand, or I think I might understand what his rationale was in delaying the, the, delaying the substitution all the way through to the 80th minute. So, so that's that's my take on that. But looking to the future, whether we're uh, like, uh, I feel it's also a bit like uh, the whole uh, Mourinho with United thing. You can't ask. Uh, you, you you know what you got with Spalletti. He's a guy who plays with a single striker. You know he, he's that's what he does. He's always done this. And if it's not a straight out striker, then it's a then it's a false nine. So he's he's not, he's he's never played with two strikers. So. We can't ask the guy to suddenly not be Spalletti. If, if you don't want Spalletti, then you don't want Spalletti. But if you want that's Spalletti, like you, you can't have the, your cake and eat it too. You know? So, so that's, that's what I feel about that. I think, like Alex said, he said that like, to the conditions of the match and to his players to a certain degree so that he's able to you know, bring Lautaro onto the, onto the field at minute 55, where the guy's going to have you know, 35 minutes to make an impact on the match, which is, you know, three, three and a half times longer than uh, the 10 minutes that he had. So I, I think this is what this is what's needed. What's needed is, you know, more more rotation for Lautaro to be able to, you know, present himself as a viable option, a viable threat to Icardi so that, you know, he puts the fire under Icardi's bum, A, and then B, finding a way to be so tactically flexible as to bring in Lautaro earlier rather than, you know, it's, it's just... I, I think the, the 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 idea of him starting is just very far fetched. But bring him on in the fiftieth minute. Bring him on at halftime. Bring him on at the sixty sixtieth minute, fifty fifth minute. Let's not like there's there's no point in bringing him on in the eightieth minute. Nothing's going to change, you know. And mm. then it's just one of those uh, last gasp winners that or a hail mary, you know, like and we get a goal and and everyone pats themselves themselves on the back, but you didn't solve anything. No. So that's how I feel. That's that's yeah, Critty, What was what's your two cents? So literally, you could take the last five minutes of what Mo said and just play the record on repeat. You've got what I <laughs> So I'm going to add a different twist to it. This reminds me of the Paco Alcacer transfer to Borussia Dortmund and the fact that you have a player who is coming on in the final minutes of the game. And I think he led the Bundesliga at one time in goals and had played like literally 25 minutes of the season. Um, he <laughs> scores. He scores. He's, he, he has scored nine goals in like and, – and I'm, I'm – I don't have the exact numbers. This is not a Borussia Dortmund podcast, so I did not prepare for this. But it, it, it was like in one hour of play, he scored like nine goals. It, it, it's just it's 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 ridiculous. And Lotaro, what he does is he provides that kind of spark, not with the amount of goals scored. Obviously, statistically speaking, he's not at nine goals in 60 minutes or whatever the heck it was. But he provides a different uh, dynamic to, to, to the team. And we're... You know, eventually Lucien Favre at Dortmund found out, well, hey, maybe, maybe it's a good idea to bring Alcacer on maybe in the 60th minute instead of the 82nd minute and let him let him have, you know, 25 or 30 minutes to, to do more damage to be able to to have more scoring opportunities as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, 10 minutes or, in, you know, right before uh, um, stoppage time. I think this is the exact same thing as Mo said with uh, Lotaro is that I would like to see not necessarily replace Icardi he's not going to do that and like like this has been said the 442 it's a great dream it's wonderful I can do that on FIFA that's 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 <laughs> I, you know I'm the manager of Inter on FIFA I can do that but Spalletti does not do that and Spalletti's not going to do that it's not his Mo said it perfectly if you, if you want the 442 fine sack Spalletti and get someone to to, to, to do the 442 if you like Spalletti then don't expect it, it, it it's you're not like you said it, you're not going to have your cake and eat it too but I would like to see 
maybe Icardi, or, or, or maybe if he's having one of these games like he had against Asulo, maybe Icardi come off the pitch in the 65th minute and let Lautaro have 25 good minutes plus stoppage time to 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 use his movement and his his his, his energy to to break down the Sosolo back line and, and and to do some more damage, not just against them, but in other teams, against other clubs. You've seen him and the energy he brings to the pitch when he comes on and his ability to to almost create instant offense and instant attack. And so that can benefit Inter, I believe, over the long term if he has more time to to be that dangerous uh, uh, off the bench threat, if you will, and 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 provide them with a spark for for more than just you know the final five to ten minutes of a match. Well, um, that remains to be seen because we have, we do play uh, a game on Sunday, uh, this Sunday, against away against Torino, uh, against Walter Mazzari. Remember him, uh, the, the 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 cranky headmaster who used to run Inter at an appointment time. Um, he, uh, you know, Torino are in a lot of trouble. Uh, they they're talking about crisi at Torino, etc., etc. Things haven't been working, but this is a this is a this is a you know this is a team that has. Um, that, that is really difficult to beat. Um, Torino suffered their first away loss of the season after uh, away last weekend uh, against Roma, 3-2, after coming back from two goals down like they did against Inter on match day two of the season at the San Siro. So this is um, this is a game that I am, I am actually dreading uh, because Torino are a good team. I, I really rate them. I think they have some quality players. They have a man. They have some. They have. They have a couple of players who. Who who can who always cause Inter problems? Um, luckily, one of them is no longer with them in Adam Jajic, but they have Ansaldi, who's looking like the player he was at Genoa when Inter decided to cash it, to, to to bring him to Inter. Um, but they also have uh, Andrea Belotti, who who always causes trouble. Um, he, he, they have Falke, who 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 always plays good against Inter. Rincon, I mean, and they have Mazzari, who knows Inter and who will. Throw who will who will try to 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 really reestablish himself at the at Torino and try to get them out of this difficult moment by getting a result against Inter. Uh, I think Spalletti is too intelligent to fall into Mazzari's trap, and I think as a result, I think Mazzari, uh, I think I think we'll see a pretty much a re- repeat of what we saw against Sassuolo, uh, a very very closed Inter. Um, a very tactical game, two teams that don't concede that much, uh, and I'm I'm going for the goalless draw. Um, uh, let's uh, start with you, Alex. What are you expecting? Give me your thoughts and prediction. I'm with you on a draw, as much as I hate to say it, because I spent a lot of time discussing how I would love to see a bounce back performance to make me forget about what happened against Sassuolo. But yeah, I I, I think to me. I've reached a point this time of year, uh, especially after how un- uninspiring Inter just were at the San Siro, that they have to really show me that they're regaining their form before I really believe it. Uh, I-, I am expecting kind of a-, a less exciting match like we saw last week, which was a pity because a lot of the City A games were lit last week, except Inter Sassuolo was probably the most boring, boring match of the weekend. I expect kind of a repeat of that. Uh, I will go for a 1-1 draw in this one. Uh, I'm going to say that Belotti is going to probably open the scoring for Torino, and then uh, I am going to uh, expect Icardi to at least regain a little bit of form in the box and, and get an equalizer in the second half. So, yeah, I, I don't think that this is the, the sort of performance that, uh, that any of us will rave about, but I do think that when it comes down to you know potential fighting uh, for position, for third place and god forbid even fourth place late in the year you might say thankful to get that point that they got in torino so uh, i am expecting one point and kind of a similar result as to what happened against sassuolo um mo this is mazzari remember him <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 the the, the bitterest of bitter ex-girlfriends you know it's, uh... <laughs> I mean, the, it's checking, like checking your Instagram profile, you know, uh, <laughs> ghosting and like, I can't believe he moved on. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I love this. Right. So, no, there is no love lost. I mean, Matsari, I've never really disliked an Inter coach. I really disliked this guy when he was coach of Inter. Um, because he 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 could he suck was, he the was, energy out of a room just by walking into it. Like he, he was, was comically, comically unlikable. Like he was comically <laughs> unlikable. 
I mean, he is a caricature uh, of. Uh, yeah, of he himself. really is. He's a caricature. Yeah. Exactly, he's a caricature of himself. So, what do you what do you think? Um, uh, like prediction and 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 um, and and what are your thoughts? Yeah, so so I think uh, it's one of those games that's quite difficult to predict. Uh, anything can happen. Uh, what what we know for sure is that, uh, like Alex said, or I think maybe you had said, that Spalletti is a better man. Yes, you said that, Nima. Spalletti is a better manager and is too smart to fall for Mazzari's t- tricks. I think our our side is a better side than Torino, like man for man across the eleven on the pitch. Um, so I think it's all up to the mindset and the mentality of the Inter players. I think uh, it it could easily be a straightforward win for Inter, or it could be a, a, an ugly game that's determined by one or two giocate, uh, like uh, Will uh, liked, uh, uh, liked yeah. to say earlier. <laughs> you know, like a, yeah. a, 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 an incident or two. What, what I think, like, I'm pretty certain it's going to be an ugly match. Like, that, that's for sure. Like, no, no, no Mazzari match is, is a pretty game, or it's very rare, you know, they're, they're like uh, less... Uh, less frequent or more rare than a blue moon. So I think it's going to be an ugly match for sure. So essentially, I think the match is going to be determined by one of these individual moments. I hope it's Icardi and I hope it means that Inter scrape a win, but I'm certainly not confident in my prediction. Nope, I hear you. Um, Kriti, last man out. Um, you were you were far from happy after Sassuolo. Well, do you think Torino will make you happier? Uh, no, in short, um, <laughs> I think so. Torino likes to play a lot of times with like a three-five-two, so I think it's just going to have a hard time with the um, the the outnumbered, uh, not the the overpowering, overpowering or outnumbering a midfield. I think that that uh, if you look back to the first match, I think that after the the, the two-nil lead, that um, Torino was able to grab a hold of the game and they were able to control it for the uh, most most of, if not all of the final 45 minutes. And uh, I think that Inter will probably find success against uh, Torino uh, early again. And I think that, uh, again, Torino will adjust to it. I think that perhaps Politano uh, scores a, a, a game opening goal to, to put uh, the Nerazzurri up 1-0. And I think that uh, Belotti equalizes um, to make it 1-1 before halftime, and I think that none other, and, and this is just typical, uh, which should be no one other than Ansaldi that scores the game winner, um, you know, 2-1, uh, probably in the 89th minute, I would say, uh, as, as uh, Torino is able to break down once again the, the inter back line and, and get one past Handanovic. I, I just see this, uh, this, this kind of chess, chess war between uh, Spalletti and, uh, you know, his, his, I don't want to say, I don't even want to say, it's just, it just seems like it's not even necessarily tactics or, um, you know, it just, it just seems, it just seems like it's some, it almost seems supernatural how, how, how things happen to enter sometimes in these matches. It almost seems like it's just, it's not, it's not even, it's not even uh, uh, something logical that's happening. It just seems like they're in their own heads, or uh, the other team just 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 happens to to, to catch fire for for 45 minutes and and outperform them. So, based on just pure uh, you know tradition that's happened the last four years, and and based on the time the, the time of season we're in, being that the match is away, being that Torino's last matches include. Uh, games against Fiorentina and Juventus and Roma. They've had a very tough stretch of games recently. And um, this is this is really one they can't afford to lose, especially if they want to uh, stay in the top 10 or they're in 11th place right now. But if they want to continue to have a, a single-digit uh, placing in the table, this is really a must-win match for them as maybe they try and call their way back into the uh, Europa League ranks if they can try and get there. I think this team has a lot of talent, and, and they do have a lot of good players in him, as you said, you know, Belotti being one of them, Falke, um, Rincon, uh, Silvestre. They have they have some good players. Uh, Bazelli, Bazelli. I really like Bazelli. Bazelli, yeah. Uh, this is, um, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Torino win and uh, Inter take home zero points, uh, one point out of uh, six to start the uh, second half of the campaign. Well, um, let's move on uh, where, to the part of the show where we walk down uh, memory lane and look back at Inter's glorious history, highlighting one coach, one player, uh, or one, um, yeah, one coach or one player uh, worthy of being branded Inter-legend. Uh, so it's time for Inter-legend with Mr. Critty Smith. 
non è un personaggio eh, che, che, che può essere sostituito perché era un personaggio assolutamente unico il fatto che abbia sempre eh, pensato e avuto nel cuore due colori il nero e l'azzurro All right guys so this is literally this is this is nothing but positivity here this is like this is um you know the part of the show where where we get to to talk about all of Inter's gold medals and successes and 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 today's player is a man that um is synonymous with all of that with with you know why uh this club has the name and and the the uh, illustrious history that it does and for the third time in the last four podcasts we're going to go back to the uh, grande inter era of Helenio Herrera and today we're going to be talking about Armando Piqui the, the the man who was uh, uh sort of the first the first guy that caught the eye of of Herrera back in the day and and was really um, the key cog, the piece in the Catanaccio system that Herrera ran back in the uh, 1960 through 68 campaigns at Inter that won them, uh, you know, two European Cups, uh, three Scudetti and two Intercontinental Cups. Uh, this is, um, he started out as a right back and was oddly placed there because as soon as he was switched to what we know as the libero or a sweeper role, which uh, was later also perfected by another interlegend, Lotto Mateos, this was the guy who kind of set the, uh, the trend for what a libero actually is. And uh, so modern football today will tell us that this position is damn near extinct, but uh, it was a position between the goalkeeper and the back four. So I think of it as a back five with uh, someone in the middle uh, between the keeper in the back four for those young kids just just learning about this uh the, this old school football formation here and he he wasn't your traditional defender in the fact that he would just simply go for the clearance he he was he was instrumental in the build-up of attack uh inter built up a lot of their attacks from the back uh during the 1960s uh intelligent able to read the game uh had extremely great uh, control over the ball was a master technician and was more importantly than anything else, he was an extension of Herrera on the pitch. He was the brainchild of the uh, Inter uh, defense in, in, during those those uh, um, Scudetti winning years and those European Cup winning years when they beat uh, not only uh, Benfica uh, to win one European Cup, but also uh, Real Madrid and uh, really cemented themselves as the kings of the continent. Uh, for, you know, to, to uh, went back to a final in 1967 where they lost. But um, for th three out of three out of five years, three out of four years, the Inter were in the European Cup final. So um, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Uh, Nima, I'll start with you. As far as what Piki meant to this squad and especially this club's history, uh, I think he's right up there as a top five name uh, historically as, as to Uh, and, and, and sometimes we, we forget about the really big names that are, you know, 50 years old at this point. You know, when, when you talk about um, going all the way back to the 1960s, it's, it's sometimes, uh, you know, it's what you've done last, who, who, who the last big names are that, you know, obviously we talk about the trouble from 2010. But there, 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 was, there was a time when, when Inter were dominant uh, long before then. And it was this group of players that Helenio Herrera brought to the club. And I think that Piki's as big a name as anyone that, that, that Inter's really ever had wear the colors uh, and the crest. Um, one of the one of the mo my most prized possessions I have is a book called uh, in, in a book in Italian about Armando Picchi. It's in fact uh, one of the only book that the Picchi family have authorized to be printed about um, Armando Picchi. It's written by an Italian journalist called Pierluigi Arci Diacono, and it's uh, the foreword to that is written by uh, is written by or it's not a foreword. It's pretty much just like the introduction, a very brief introduction, written by Massimo Moratti, the former Inter president, whose father Angelo Moratti owned the club during La Grande Inter, who won the European Cup as it was called back then twice in a row. Uh, defeating Real Madrid and Benfica, and and he writes, um, Moratti writes like this: It's a shame that many Inter fans of today don't have, did not have the ability to get to know uh, Armando Picchi, the great captain of Grande Inter. Uh, Picchi represented Inter uh, in the pro in his profile in in the sense of courage, power, and uh, vol uh, and his will. Uh, values that are remained in the that, that remain in the spirit of the squad. Um, Armando is was a is a great player, but above all, a great man, a good man, and a point of reference for everyone. Both during glorious times as in difficult times, he gave a lot to all of us, 
and we can uh, and I can uh, affirm that for Inter it was an honor to have a captain like him for always. That pretty much I think sums up what Armando Picchi was. Aside from the fact that he was the libero and the central defender, he was he 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 was the symbol of Inter um, in a way. Uh, that the old Inter, the same way that Zanetti is the symbol of the new Inter. I don't think you could sum it up any better than that. That 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 foreword right there from that book is is picture perfect as far as what describes him and what he meant to the club. Mm. Agree. Um, it's it's a book. It's written in Italian, but it is absolutely fantastic because the Picchi family opened up their vault and allowed so many pictures never seen before to be published in this book. And it, and it's truly truly amazing. And I've, I've I think I've read it three times. Um, <laughs> it, it is really 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 um, really a fantastic book. Um, and uh, no, it's it's. I mean, he was. I I didn't. You know, it's one thing that when you Google and Wikipedia, but when you when you really read a, a biography like this and it goes into such detail, you, you really understand that although the sexy names of Luis Suarez, uh, Mazzola, uh, Mario Corso, uh, you know, Helenio Herrera, all of these people were, were or Facchetti, the cap, you know, the uh, Giacinto Facchetti, but, you know, these are the, the big names, the sexy names, but none of it would have been possible without the captain, uh, Armando Picchi. Agreed. Mo, did you have something you wanted to add to uh, talk about Piki? Well, uh, look, um, I mean, uh, I'm old, but I'm not old enough to have ever uh, seen uh, <laughs> La, Grande Inter, uh, La Grande Inter play. But these, these are names, as, 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 you, uh, as you guys alluded to, you know, uh, Facchetti, Mazzola, uh, you know, uh, as you learn more and more about Inter, you, you discover these names and, and they, they, they reveal themselves to you as part of the, the glorious history of this club. But for me, uh, uh, Piki in particular is, is, uh, hits a soft spot because uh, in Egypt, Egyptian football, uh, till very recently, had always relied on a lib- libero, libero, we, we call him an, an, an Egyptian libero. Uh, and uh, I've always been like we've always had these really charismatic sweepers as well and commentators would always refer to Piki as as the, the quintessential model on which these these guys were built so this is a name that you know growing up I'd always been familiar with and, and when I played football at a very junior level myself as a as a kid I'd be either a goalkeeper or, or I'd, I'd like to play as a sweeper so yeah no I mean there's there's nothing much more to be said than, than than what you what you both said, but I just wanted to relay a personal you know connection to that name somehow across across the decades, you know. Alex, your dad uh, is an Inter fan, and that's why you, you always said you didn't have a choice to become an Inter fan. Did he was <laughs> is he of the age uh, that he saw like on the Inter? Perhaps? Yes, he, my 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 father was born in 1950. He grew up on the Grande Inter, and in fact, uh, this one is very, very appropriate because. Although, uh, like all of us, I, I wasn't old enough to watch Peaky play. That really was the blueprint for how my father taught me to play football when I was a kid. I, I was a sweeper up until <laughs> I think. I, I, seriously, well, I think when I got to when I got to high school was when I I moved to fullback. I moved to the outside, but you know, while, while the sweeper position was still pretty popular among coaches down here, that was the position my father taught me to play. And and Peaky was really the blueprint for that. So this this one does hit pretty close to home. As uh, I'll have to I'll have to ask my father where he ranks Peaky on the list, but I'm sure he's probably one of his uh, his three or four favorites uh, growing up uh, as far as Inter legends go. So th- this is one that really affected my life directly, even though I didn't watch him play because. Uh, whether I knew it or not, I, I learned how to play football like Peaky. Not to that level, certainly. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on this phone right now. I'd probably be <laughs> making making millions of dollars somewhere else. But, uh, but but this was really the blueprint that I learned to play football playing like Peaky. Well, you know, thank God for small favors. We're happy that you're with us <laughs> and not <laughs> off somewhere making millions of dollars. Although I don't begrudge you to make millions of dollars. Um, I'm just happy that you're here. <laughs> no. I think yeah. it, 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 this this generation of players, and that's why I've gone back to them here recently, because we're going to get back into the modern era for those are, you know, the, the Zanettis are coming and 
you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, maybe a few about the uh, Trapatoni players. And of course, we'll talk about more of uh, uh, Mourinho's players from 2010. But, but it, th- this generation of players this, from the ni- 1960 through 1970, they, they, they were really the first time that Inter gained international status, like as far as like um, uh, superstardom and, 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 you know, notoriety or fame or, or became a household name. You know, this was a, a, a continental powerhouse of a football club. And, it, it, you know, these, these players, you know, people can easily forget about the Real Madrid teams, for example, that won those first few European Cups because there's been so many great Real Madrid teams since then. And Inter's had great club, uh, great teams since then. Um, but these were the guys, this, this generation of players, Herrera's players, were the guys that really put Inter on the map and, and, and uh, I want to say uh, had sustained success over the course of a decade that really um, made them uh, a feared team to play. And certainly with the Catanaccio uh, were uh, tactically innovative and, and really made other managers. It took years before someone actually figured out how to beat it. So that in and of itself is, 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 is a compliment. Mm, indeed, indeed. Right. Thanks a lot, Kudi. That was awesome. I love like the Inter. I always like talking about them because I'm fascinated by them. So thanks for that. Um, right. Let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute or to piss out of uh, and make fun of someone or something in the world of football, uh, starting with this week's Frog, which will be presented by Mr. Alex Dono. Oh, I love this one. So the Frosinone owner, uh, Maurizio Stirpe, Stirpe, had an amazing burn at Aurelio <laughs> De Laurentiis of Napoli. This is just fantastic. So the Napoli president had accused Frosinone of being already relegated when they were pro- promoted to Serie A, as well as not drawing fans, interest, or broadcasters, while urging Serie A to find them if they finish bottom. And the response from the Frosinone <laughs> owner, in life, and before football, respect is needed, and I didn't see any from him. I've always invested in football, and I built our new stadium with the TV rights money, something De Laurentiis doesn't seem to have done yet. I don't know why he made such an outburst. All I see is a lack of respect from a peasant. I'd also <laughs> like to say that I won't accept advice from someone who's won practically nothing in recent years. That, my friends, is one of the best Damn. I've seen. <laughs> Damn. It's like he went to town on him, didn't he? Like he completely went to town on him. Yeah, it was. I laughed so hard when I read this. Um, Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he should have. He should have stayed quiet because because De Laurentiis, um, I mean, what he said was was really it was it was really rude because he was saying that because uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly the quote, but it was something like. Why should these teams, I mean, you shouldn't get money if you get re- relegated. You should get a fine because we shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, we shouldn't be um, rewarding poor behavior pretty much. Is what he was saying. And he was saying, um, uh, it was, uh, he used, the, he was talking about why should they get a piece of the, was it panettone or what was, it, what was that it, Italian bread reference he made, which was absolutely. Yeah, I think it was panettone, yeah. <laughs> I I mean I I'm 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 a sucker for uh for for Italian presidents when they get into it and they get at each other um uh, you know, here's the here's the quote. Why should Frosinone have a season in Serie A, be given a slice of the panotta and then be relegated back to the third division? That's what he said. Um, now, I, I love when Italian football presidents, especially the crazy colorful ones, uh, get at it at each other. And and today, this really, really made my day. Um, and and so I'm I'm just sitting here like rubbing my hands like a child, waiting for Adelantis to to hit back at at this guy. Um, one one interesting aspect is that Frosinone were promoted to the Serie A by defeating Palermo in the most unsportsmanlike way ever. So, unfortunately, Palermo president Maurizio Zamparini, my favorite person in the whole world, is no longer owning owns the club Palermo. But if he did, he would have gotten involved, um, which would have been even lovelier. But until then, uh, we'll just have to make do with our dear friends um, Stirpe and and De Laurentiis, who who are no Zamparinis, but but they um, but they're um, <laughs> but they they sure they sure do keep us entertained. Um, right, let's move on to something a bit more positive. This week's uh, Moratti, which will be presented by Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Here's Iwachilat, 
He's intelligent and he surprised uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. Yeah, guys, so uh, it's been a pretty bleak uh, podcast all the way through. I kind of alluded to the fact that I think that uh, although the, the result and the play of the Sassuolo match were, were, were pretty abysmal, there's some positive, positivity there. And for me, the, the one thing that really stood out is uh, the Boo, the Brothers Universally United campaign uh that was uh launched by inter to basically uh you know after the the the, the fiasco of the Koulibaly treatment at the san siro and uh, the the fan ban at home and the closure of the curva etc um we, we we've seen italian clubs react to such controversies earlier even in the season with uh you know with the most uh basic and perfunctory of responses and uh, this is one of those times where, um, like, I, I couldn't be prouder of, of supporting Inter. Uh, not only have uh, have has the club, you know, uh, not appealed the ban, and not only has the club uh, admitted error, and you know, they go out and launch this amazing campaign to be able to bring everyone in and and and, and remind the fans and remind the world what this club really stands for, and and. And, and who, who we are as Inter supporters, uh, generally a force for, for honesty and good in, the, in, a, in a difficult championship. And yeah, I couldn't be prouder. I, I'm, I'm, and now I hear that uh, this is just the beginning and there's lo- a lot more content uh, to, and, and, and engagements and, and activities planned by the club based on off of that uh, Brothers Universally United campaign. So yeah, props to that. Here, 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 here. Uh, I thought the club uh, really took when you know they really took something really horrible and and also I want the, the fact that they um, the fact that they gave free entrance to kids eleven thousand children um, uh, I thought I thought was really really classy um, talk about taking something really horrible and uh, going uh, turning it into something positive um, and Stephen Zhang is, is reportedly one of the people most driving behind this campaign uh, so really really well done there but Inter have done absolutely everything they can do and uh, I'm no fan of the Curva Nord uh, and their their right-wing fascist political stance so I, I, I w- I'm all for giving the children the Curva Nord from now on and give them give them 11,000 free tickets every game because they made just as much noise and didn't give any of the headache. Uh, so that's my two cents on that. Uh, right, let's move on to something slightly more uh, negative. This week's Moji, which will be presented by uh, myself. Um, it, it, it's, it was, for me, the most, the, the, the moji of the week is kind of what was, this is something that was decided last week, which Will said last week, but watching it on TV yesterday unfold, it was, was, was ridiculous. Um, the, the Milan, uh, Genoa Milan, uh, was played on Monday at, um, at 3 p.m. CET local time. Um, because of the fact that um, uh, because of the fact that this is a high risk game, and um, this was uh, this was such a bizarre match uh, because it was it was I mean the the, the the fans were boycotting this game because they were not uh, happy about this at all. Uh, they thought it was a absolutely biz- they thought it was absolutely r- ridiculous that because of the fact that this was a high risk game let's move it to 3 p.m. on a monday so that no one can come so everyone boycotted the game and it looked it was a weird weird game um and i think prandelli said it best when he said afterwards that this this is not football this is not normal and it shouldn't this should not be nor- it should not be normalized and i couldn't agree more this client, this, this this Italian way of handling things, of just sweeping it under the rug and pretend that everything is okay, the, you know, you, you, they've done it for they've they've turned it into an art form, but this this can't go on because we the decision to avoid clashes between fans by playing it on 3 p.m. on a Monday is just so is so strange and and weird because the, this logic that if no one can go, no one can fight. Is, is just absurd. 
Um, so uh, for me, that the decision to to handle situations without actually resolving them uh, the, is is for me this week's moji. Right, um, that was all we had time for this week. Uh, I'd like to thank Alex uh, Dono and Curtis Smith, who had to run away uh, after this, uh, had to run away sooner. Uh, thanks to you guys for coming on, and I'd also like to thank Mr. Positivity himself, Mr. Mo Nasser. Thanks, thanks, always a pleasure, guys. Thank you uh, for listening to us. Shout out to Hungry Nosaurus. I can really, I really, <laughs> I really, really like your your food blog. I can really. What is the address? I've been talking about it so much. So, what? How do people go on there? Is it? What's the URL? So, so I, I'm I'm I mostly Instagram now. I don't blog as often, but I'm a Hungry Nosaurus on on Instagram. Yeah, Nosaurus is N A S S A U N A S S A O U R U S Nosaurus. Yeah. 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 No, I, 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 um, I, I, I did, I did one of your recipes. Uh, the, um, I, I can't remember which one. It was a long time ago. Uh, but I think it was a risotto I did. It was, it was kick-ass. So great recipe. I can really. I always, thanks for that, man. Always uh, good to hear. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. For well, until next time, uh, until next week, I'm your host Nima Tavali Rutsari, wishing you a good weekend, three points, and as always, sempre e solo forza Inter. Wow.